Hi, I'm Jackie. Welcome to Jackie Always Unplugged podcast. Today we're finishing up our series on sex. Yes, we're talking about sex. And today I'm asking one of my friends, also one of my colleagues, to dialogue with me about what it's been like as pastors to women, how difficult we have found um, talking to women about sexuality, and quite frankly, how unequipped we are. That's what we're talking about today. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off-the-record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcella Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions, dealing with real issues, and revisiting scripture with a new lens. These conversations are going to put words to your female experience. They're going to ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're going to reshape our view. Welcome back. Today, we're going to be talking with Jula Prevalon, who is an ordained minister, and she's also a licensed professional counselor, has her own private practice. She's also the founder of Elevate Her International Ministries, where she travels around the world to teach women how to heal from their trauma. She was born in Haiti. You'll pick that up from her accent. But she grew up in New Jersey, and currently she lives in North Texas with her husband and three young adult sons. And you can hear her often speaking and preaching about the intersections of faith and trauma and racial justice and how the gospel liberates all women. You're going to really enjoy learning and listening from Jula. But before I go there, I also want to encourage you, if you are enjoying these podcasts, would you do me a favor and just bop on over to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you're listening um, from, and would you subscribe or like us, write a great review? That would be very, very helpful for me. Thank you ahead of time for doing so. Hi, welcome, Jula. I'm so glad you are with us this morning. I know that you have tons going on, so thank you. Yeah, thanks for having me. And the truth is, you know, we weren't taught much about how to talk about sexuality. A lot of what we were taught hasn't been helpful. And the truth is that the church really has never really known how to talk about sexuality. We, um, and I'm going to give us a quick history, a framework, if you will, uh, of how the church has always been trying to figure this out. I mean, we have Paul who addresses um, the Gnostic belief that the material world is not good, right? And that, and therefore, the body is not good. And one of the byproducts of that belief was that, hey, what I do with my body doesn't matter, and therefore, sexual immorality is irrelevant. It's what I do in the spirit. And so Paul counters this in 1 Corinthians. We have a lot of conversation from Paul about the body and about sexuality and that it's good. And then after him, we have this whole church history, and there are all kinds of discussions about sex. The very first church fathers debated whether or not there was sex in the garden. Did sex happen in the garden, or was it after the fall? Was it a result of sin? This was a whole conversation for generations. And then we have Augustine who said, no, there was sex in the garden, um, and, 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 but sex, we, we have to do it, although it is inherently sinful. And then we have the Reformation that comes about. And the Reformation um, 
we elevate sexuality because we're actually having a reaction to the Catholics who emphasized celibacy. And they're like, no, 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 no. Celibacy is like works, you know, trying to get salvation through work. And we're all about faith. And so they elevated marriage and therefore sex is now in. But actually sex was about spiritual formation rather than self-fulfilling or personal pleasure And then, as we talked about in the previous episodes, we had the purity movement of the 18 and 1900s, where women were considered, for the first time, asexual, and men were considered animalistic. And they needed women to be the gatekeepers to help men rise up to a higher level of morality. 1920s, we had this mini sexual revolution. And then back to the 1950s, we moved back again to the softer version of the purity movement. Then we have another sexual revolution in the 60s and 70s, and that's when the pill came about, which was we can't even overstate the impact of the pill because it's the first time ever in history that women now can have sex without the fear of the consequence of having a baby. And this changed everything. And this is just a quick history. I took a class on sexuality in 2011. And I will never forget, we were talking about marriage and sexuality, homosexuality. And this one woman, she got really passionate. And she stood up and she said, we can't talk about homosexuality because we, the church, don't even know how to talk about sexuality. And I was like, she's spot on. And the point is, we don't. And we never have. So, Julia, in the first episode, I walked us through some of the messages that I learned as a new Christian about sex and sexuality that weren't very helpful. Um, Things like um, have sex with your husband so that he'll stay faithful. That men can't help themselves. They're just more sexual than women are. That men are more visual than women. That if you have sex before marriage, you're damaged goods. Now, as you and I both know, I was trained up at that time in my life in the conservative evangelical world in Texas, white male patriarchal environment. Um, that's mm. not been your upbringing. So I wanted to know what messages have you got, have you heard that you you learned and that you have seen from women that you have ministered to or counseled? Yeah, um, for me, the messages have been layered. You know, I'm a black woman um hailing from haiti grew up in new jersey and so um you know in our tradition young girls are supposed to um you know supposed to greet their elders without question supposed to give themselves away to their elders without question and so that giving yourself away to um to one that is older than you to your your spouse, your, your, to whoever that's older, that, that, that has control over you. The language of protection is also always, always used. So being groomed in that context of, you know, you greet your elders, you do whatever your elders tell you, um, you know, are all some of the messages. And then the, you know, growing up in the American culture, one of the other messages that I heard was, is if you save yourself for marriage, that it will be the most amazing sex <laughs> you will ever have in your life once you get married. Like, don't taint your body, you know, because you want to to just store up all of your sexual energy for when you get married so that you can fully unleash and have the most amazing sex. Um, Which is you know, not necessarily married, true. That is so not true. <laughs> <You know? laughs> 
<laughs> it is so untrue. It is so untrue. Um, so the mes- messages are layered. And I think as we're talking about, generally speaking about sex and women and all of that, you know, just thinking of all the other women, um, all the other women with different traditions, you know, like the um, Latina women and women from Haiti, women from Africa, um, how they're, we're all um, given this specific message. And I think there, the undercurrent of control, power and control is underneath all of these messages that we're all receiving from white Americans to, you know, Latina women, Haitian women and African women, all about control that if women are to engage into this area of sex, then something bad, really bad will happen, you know, Mm. Um, that she will be, um, she will be rejected and be left alone and she will not be good enough. So all these messages, you know, have that undercurrent that women are not equipped enough and women are not wise enough and women are not, um, you know, learned enough or skilled enough to handle their body, you know, that mm. they need help um, from father, from brother, from cousins, from um, everyone else outside of them to handle their body, right? And so we're not taught that, you know, our bodies is our bodies. <laughs> you know, when right. I first started learning that, you know, someone told me, I was my body's my body, <laughs> you know? that we're not taught that, you know, so from all these traditions, we're taught that our bodies belong to other, never us. Wow. Yeah. And so that's where that's the, the, the foundation for the issues that we have, you know, in, in relationships in the church regarding sex, because we we don't own our bodies. We don't have agency over our bodies. So can Someone I ask? Else can, well, I'm sorry. Let me let me ask you this question because it's kind of hanging in there with me. So, do you yeah. feel like in those particular um, groups of people, whether that's your Haitian upbringing, uh, black women, Latino women, and of course you're not speaking for everybody, but just do you think that sets them up for sexual abuse more so? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, because if your body is not your own and someone else controls your body, it's almost, it's soft language that grooms you for, um, for abuse. Would you say even in the Christian church? Absolutely. Even more so in the Christian church, I think, you know, because the, um, the Christian church, um, you know, the rigidity or the, um, there's this, the, the, there's shame that's taught about our body. So we as women don't even have the, um, the wherewithal to ask questions, you know, to say, well, what does this mean? Or, or to even know where to go to ask, you know, about what I'm feeling or sensing. And it's generational because your grandmother went through it and then your mother went through it and then you're going through it, you know, and it is not being taught about your body, not being taught that you have agency over your body or that you can say no or Mm. that you can say yes. (laughs) Right. 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 Um, And so there's silence around that. 
um, no one's talking about it. The church isn't talking about it. Youth group isn't talking about it. So where exactly do we, um, where's the community that's supposed to teach us about that? And silence is complicit in many ways, right? Because if you're not telling me um, or teaching me the how to um, how to do this, because in counseling, when I'm um, working with young girls, you know, part of my job in the counseling office, especially when I get young girls who have been, gone through abuse, and I, I, I see a spectrum of um, from girls to women that have gone through abuse, and we're talking about the body. Like, I do a little exercise with little girls, good touch and bad touch, and I'm teaching them, and I'm asking them, whose body is this <laughs> you know and I'm just asking them these rhetorical questions and they're they're looking at me like it's my body I'm like that's right it's yes. your body yeah so who is responsible for taking care of your body and they're looking at me like I'm responsible for taking care of my body now who can touch your body and they're looking at me, you know, in the, just bewildered. And these are basic questions. And I'm sure as the, your listeners are listening, Jackie, many of them might even be thinking that I've never been asked these questions mm-hmm. or no one has ever told me that this is my body. Right. Um, it belongs to me. I take care of it. Um, I have to know... Um, what what it's doing I have to know when things are changing I have to know when I'm, I'm what I'm feeling the church is not teaching any of that right you know it does not and know how family, to talk about it it does not know how to talk about it so you're an ordained and, minister yeah. certified counselor mm-hmm. how have you seen this you're sharing what how you've seen it with the women of abuse how do you see this kind of teaching impacting the women that you have ministered to counseled over the last several decades what do you see here? Yeah. This, this example of this little girl needing to identify that this is her body and that she's the one yeah. in charge of her body. What, what else yeah. do you, how, how do you see this impacting women? Um, you know, women dealing with this will come to me with a lot of anxiety and an immense amount of shame. Um, you know, many of them, it takes us weeks, if not months, to even name certain things, you know, it's so hard for them to talk about things. Um, Even with a therapist where, you know, there's confidentiality, we can't talk about different things that they go through or anything like that with others, my family or anybody. And it's still hard for them to name certain things, right? Um, And so it creates anxiety. And then there's this hyper-focus on failure, you know, on sinning, um, when it comes to the area of sex, there's this hyper focus. I'll get um, young adult girls, uh, you know, message me, um, you know, just asking for help. You know, I'm dating and my boyfriend wants to have sex and I, I, I feel something, but I don't know if this is right for me to think or feel and so I'm feeling shame and I'm feeling anxiety and there's no one I can talk to about this. 
And so I see you post online from time to time and you seem like a safe person. Tell me, what should I do? What do I do? (laughs) And that's the other issue we see that women are often when we're dealing, when they're dealing with the area of sex in their bodies, there's a detachment that happens um, because it's, it's such a shameful area that we're not supposed to talk about it. We're not supposed to engage it. We're not supposed to know it. We're not supposed to touch it or not feel supposed it to or like know it. what we're feeling. We're not supposed to like it. So they detach. We think that the church at least thinks that when we're giving these messages to young girls and women about sex and we're saying stay away, we think it's just, we're just talking about sex. But for women, it's not just sex. It goes into so many other areas when it comes to um, our voices, um, agency over our bodies, or even our desires for the future, um, what we want in life. It goes to every aspect of our life, even our friendships. We can't have authentic friendships because this area, there's such a detachment that mm. happens that it detaches us from everything else. It's interesting, mm-hmm. you know, you know, Julia, one of my um, areas that I like to think about, study, and I wish I could do more, there isn't a lot out there, is body theology. You know, why right. do we have a body and what is our body all about? And that would be male too, but I happen to work with women on this. And it's very yeah. fascinating. <clears throat> one of the things that I do is this exercise with women and I'll ask them, what did you learn about your body? Um, Mm. uh, what message did you receive before you were, when you were a young girl from the most influential person in your family, which usually is the mother figure of the home. It doesn't always have to be, but in general, and, um, and then they write out these words and they put up on sticky notes all over this wall. And then I just have someone read and it's the most toxic Mm. experience of what these Mm. girls, women, when they were girls had been taught about their bodies um, right. And those messages, right, are, are sometimes said and sometimes they're not said. Sometimes it can be because right. somebody in your family is constantly dieting, which is telling the signature of what your body shape mm-hmm. is supposed to be like. And so I'm going to eat food or not eat food or starve myself accordingly so that I can have this image that no one has, right, in real life. Right. And then the second thing right. I do is I say, okay, now let's talk about what the church has told you about your body. What messages have you gotten? And then they do the same thing. They write it out on post-it notes and stick it up. And it's just as toxic and it's like okay we you know so it's interesting you're talking about we're talking about sex but the truth is if we don't address what I hear you saying is that we have to address for women in particular what does it mean to live inside your body to know your Mm -hmm. body to embrace your body to live mind body and soul to live holistically rather than than dualistically I mean because what you're talking about is Gnostic behavior right where you're supposed to separate your spirit from your body we're not supposed yeah. to. So how do we help people put their body, you know, every, it all back together, mind, body, and soul, which yeah. I think is fascinating. Yeah. Um, it is. It I, is. That makes me lead to this next part, which is, um, you know, I shared how I, what I learned growing up in the church about sexuality and how um, I really found it not only not helpful, but actually harmful, mm-hmm. that, that the impact yeah. I see it has on women and their ability to engage intimacy in their marriage and you're exactly right. It plays out in their job, their lack of mm-hmm. confidence. They're in their, they're withholding self-silencing their voices in many ways because of mm-hmm. this whole area that we don't talk about. And if we do talk about it, I don't think we're talking about it well. 
And I remember yeah. thinking about what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 13. He says, you know, when I was a child, I spoke and thought and reasoned like a child. But then I grew up and I put childish things away. And I feel like that's the pursuit I've been on of trying to understand what is it mean to be a sexual human being? And then mm. what is it to engage in the act of sex? And those are two different things. But um, yeah. And so I started like you know, as a pastor and, and you've, you've encountered this not only as a pastor, but as a, as a therapist, I started encountering things that were really complex and didn't have Mm -hmm. simple answers to them that the church was giving me about sexuality. Um, like I'll, I'll never forget, like the song of Solomon was a big thing that went on for a while, these conferences, you know, (laughs) for marriage. And, um, and it was always taught by a guy, which I thought was interesting. And, Mm -hmm. you know, it was always this model of what sex should be like in marriage, that it's this passionate, you know, book that God has put there, put forth for us to see what sex inside a marriage can look for. Except that the author is supposedly, you know, they claim that the author was Solomon. And I'm like, but Solomon had 1500 lives. Right. And I'm not even sure the one that's in this book, it was his wife. It was maybe a concubine or a lover. Like you're not like, so that didn't go together for me. And then, you know, I felt like what we were saying to sing, I kept having single women. I, you know, most of my close friends, my inner circle tends to be single women who almost all of them have never been married before. And they're very content in their life. And, yeah. but their questions, you know, that 50, they're saying, can, can I have, does it matter? I'm not, yeah. you know, I'm not probably not going to get married, but I, I would really like to have sex. Can I, can I use a sex toy? Can I, can I masturbate? Mm-hmm. What? And, and mm-hmm. the church just doesn't have anything to say to this other Silent. than no, that's just it. No. Silent. Right. And mm-hmm. I was like, well, wait a minute. The Bible was written at a time. Um, and by the way, the Bible doesn't say a, a lot about sex, to be honest with you, but it was written in a time right. frame in which girls got married at 13. You know, there was no such thing as some woman, you know, 51% of American women today live outside of having a significant male in their home. And so we have Mm -hmm. more women living outside of having a man than, than with for the first time in American history. And so that's a whole lot of singleness that we need to talk Mm -hmm. about. Right. And, and the Bible talks about girls getting married at 13. What do we do when women don't get married? And, and mm-hmm. there was no answer for that when, when, um, when I was asking questions from my peers, my colleagues, staff members saying, what do you think? They're just, I don't know. No. I'm like, ah, that's just, come on. We got to have better conversation about that. And then the yeah. last thing I brought up, want to bring up is just, I remember this woman, um, been married for a long time, three kids, happily married. And her husband came out to her that he was gay. And mm. after like 25 some years of marriage, he, um, they, they talked about it. They had very, they decided to stay married, but he didn't want to engage in the act of sex anymore. And mm. so this woman came to me and said, can I, can I masturbate? Can I, and can mm. I, you know, there's, <laughs> I, my sexual life has been awakened here and what do I do? And what yeah. if he's okay with me masturbating so that, at, you know, it's a compromise in their marriage in light of the fact that she'd still like to engage in the act of sex with her husband and he doesn't want to anymore, right? Like it got, it right. got, it got complicated. So yeah. what, you know this. Yeah. So what have you seen? Like, so here you are in, as a counselor minister, these women come in. How have you seen it? I mean, has it been complicated for you to give answers in light of what you'd been trained to some of these? Right. Like, right. You see what I'm saying? Like we've been trained to answer a certain way. And then these complex yeah. things come up and I'm going, it's not working. I can't figure out why this, it doesn't go together for me. Yeah. I I lead people in the way of wisdom and not necessarily giving answers 
but in a way of helping them find their answers um, through the work that they're doing. So wisdom will tell, wisdom says, you know, every situation is different. So we can't have a one size fits all answer, you know, because a woman that is 20 is different from a woman that's 50 and different from a woman that's retired. So wisdom tells me that um, surely the advice that's given in this uh, verse will not apply. And plus the advice was, you know, 2000 years ago and their context and their life and their, um, you know, their way of living was different from what's happening now. So wisdom tells me that, right? Um, And then I'll get some women, you know, who are, you know, young adults. I see this happening a lot in um, evangelical circles where, you know, because they're, they, they want to have sex so badly, they'll speed up their weddings and get married so they can have sex. I'm like, sister, I think it will be cheaper for you to have sex than to go ahead and get married <laughs> and for the wrong reason. So it's cheaper to have sex. Yeah. Right. right. You know, it's funny yeah. you said something about just even getting them to the point where they're not ashamed that their body yeah. is good and that sex is good, right? Like the idea of sex itself is actually not bad. It's good. And um, yeah. I, I remember, I'm going to try to do this without naming which child, but I remember uh, one of my children um, in college was uh, in a very serious relationship. And um, one day when I was sitting at the table, I noticed that um, that there was a, a hickey on one of my kids' necks. And so I said, hey, um, let's talk about sex. You know, let's talk about this. And in our family, we talked about sexuality and sex frequently, which I think is a mm-hmm. mistake we do in the church and in our homes. Like in the church, we talk about sex like at a conference. You have to sign up for the conference right? Mm -hmm. And it's usually just married people, or they'll have a singles conference and part of it will be on sexuality. Or we do a a lot of talking about it in the youth group, but it's always this uh, like subculture thing that goes on instead of it just being a normative conversation. Like we talk about food and we talk about work and we can talk about sex and we can, right? Like let's make sex normal, the conversation Mm -hmm. around sex normal. And so my Mm -hmm. stating that statement that day was not too abnormal for my children, little abnormal mm-hmm. for the the other person. The other person was like, oh my gosh, I, I, you, I, I think I need to go home, you know? And I was like, no, 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 we're going to. Yeah. And so yeah. finally I just said to the other person, I said, do you want to have sex with so-and-so? And they got really nervous because, you know, I'm, mm-hmm. I was their pastor and, and the mom in the room. And, and they were, and I said, look, here's the deal. You should absolutely want to have sex with so-and-so. It's, mm-hmm. it's so normative. Like, it's, it's yes. really human to want to it's have sex. Human. It's very human. <laughs> you know, shooting, this is my example to him, was like, hey, shooting heroin up your arm, not human. Like, that's not DNA right. wired. Wanting to have right. sex, it's DNA wiring. And you could just see this, this person just go, oh, oh. Mm-hmm. You mean I don't mm-hmm. have to be embarrassed about the fact that I would like to engage in the act of sex with this person. No, you don't. That's normal. Now let's talk about how we're going to do this and how we're going to do it in healthy ways and ways that help each other flourish and pop, 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 right? Like all it, but like, Mm -hmm. I I love the idea of even just saying, Hey, your body's good and sex is good and it's human and normal. The desire is normal, Mm -hmm. but we shame it. We shame this idea of, of wanting to have sex. You know, 
and women more so than men, because actually we've taught men that they are, you know, animalistic and can't help themselves. Women are taught they're not supposed to want to have sex. Right. But they do. And that's where you, you have, you have so many issues in marriage, um, because of the area of sex, because women are not supposed to want it. And and then we think it's a switch that we can just turn on and turn off. Right. So for, 20 some high years or however long it takes you to get married, they're not supposed to have sex. So, I mean, even there's a, there's a church in the Dallas area that has different codes of things to not do when dating, you know, first base, second base, third base. I'm like, what the, <laughs> you know, we're still doing this, you know? And so they're and keeping so you in business, these- Jula. come to me and say, you know, we're not supposed to do this. We're not supposed to do that. We're not supposed to do this. But then the switch is supposed to turn on on the night of your wedding and it's supposed to be good. But women, our bodies don't work that way. No, we've been told shut down, shut down, shut down, shame, dirty, dirty, dirty. Exactly. Now we're supposed to feel good about it. No, we still feel dirty, dirty, dirty shame, which is what you're experiencing in your office as a counselor, right? Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, um, a lot of work is needed in that area for women in marriage, you know, because now we we need to figure out the sex thing. Right. Right. Even outside of marriage, what do we do with so Mm -hmm. many single women? You know, um, it's interesting. I have seen a shift in the understanding of masturbation from the time I started thinking and and researching and really digging into this area of sexuality, which was like the 1990s. And of course, now we're in, you know, 2020. But, um, and and we've shifted. In the 1990s, when I was going through seminary, the masturbation was just a no-no, right? Like, no, the answer is no, you may not do it. Of course, interesting, Mm -hmm. we only assumed men were masturbating, right? Like I, I did a sex panel discussion at the church I was on staff at, and I had two female scholars come in and then one sex therapist come in and we had all the women in our church, you know, come if they wanted to. And even some of the youth group came and, and I brought up this issue of masturbation and (laughs) our youth leader who was a woman, it's told me later that this girl that sat next to her that was in the youth group turned to her and said, well, my mom said that only boys masturbate. <laughs> and oh, Shelly, the youth leader goes, well, that's not true. You know, like it never, this, this girl had been told women don't masturbate, which I think is exactly what, what the church kind of communicated in the 1990s. Well, now right. we're actually, you know, seeing professors uh, in the evangelical world and sex therapists, et cetera, saying, well, maybe masturbation is okay under certain parameters, mm-hmm. right? Like, so we're seeing a right. shift which I find interesting. Um, right. I have no right. idea where I was going with that. So let me ask you this. Um, you do a lot of work internationally. You go to Haiti. You've been to Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you see that women, because one, one of the things that makes me nervous when we are always talking about what our experiences are like here in America, it's not always the same as what's happening to women globally. And I want to remind us that, that God mm-hmm. is a God of all women globally. Like, let's not think our experience is the only thing that's happening. And so what have you experienced on about sex and sexuality? And have you seen any differences uh, of what's being taught to women abroad and how that's impacting them? Yeah, sex is about pleasure and experiencing pleasure um, with uh, yourself, partner, and um, all of that in what I've seen internationally and here with um, many um, African-Americans and groups of of 
the women of color is that we should not feel pleasure. We should not experience pleasure. That sex, it's almost like a duty for the women that I've worked with in Haiti that it's a duty, it's a gift to your husband and never to be pleasurable for you. Mm. Um, you know, um, it's never to be something that women should desire. And so with that um, context or that backdrop, um, you know, when the, there's marital issues, the pastors would tell them to pleasure their husbands more. You mm. know, if there's infidelity or if there's domestic violence, ugh, uh, some of the most horrifying stories I've heard in Haiti, you know, regarding domestic violence, you know, um, women would go to their pastors for help and the pastors would say, cook better, have sex better, and he should, um, and that should make him happy. Um, wow. So it's, a, it's, a, it's used um, uh, as a, a way for women to fulfill their duties to their husbands. I once got into a heated debate with a man um, while we were on a mission trip to Haiti. Um, and there, we were having some conversations about this area and women empowerment and um, women's bodies. And he says, I really don't understand how a man could rape, uh, how a husband could rape his own wife. Mm -hmm. I was livid. <laughs> I'm like, yep. It's possible. Yes. It's possible if she says no, then yes, that's rape. Right. And he could not understand why a wife would say no to her husband. Right. You know, so those are some of the, the things that I've heard um, around, uh, you know, in, in the world, you know, from women um, where their bodies are used um, and abused, you know, to and abused. Um, to fulfill a duty to men yeah. and, the, and their needs and their desires. Yeah, I, I've experienced that same message. You know, I've yeah. spent time teaching women in Africa and particularly South Sudan. And I'll never forget sitting on the grass one, mo one morning um, and sitting with a group just chatting. And they were talking about what happened the night before. And a woman had been arrested and she was in jail yeah. overnight. And the reason she was arrested was because she said no to her husband about having sex that night. And in yeah. that culture, in that particular area, women um, can't say no to having sex. Yeah. You, you have yeah. sex every time your husband wants to have sex, regardless if you just had a baby or you don't, you know, you're not feeling well. It doesn't matter. You don't have a mm -hmm. voice mm -hmm. to say no. And, uh, even uh, birth control, right? They're not allowed to yeah. have birth control or use birth control without their husband's permission. And so, again, yeah. we're back to this idea of the, their body is not their body. Their body no, is actually no. somebody else's body, you know? Yeah, and it's, it's violence. It's violence against women, you know, and many, I, I did a, a trauma conference in Congo one year, and, and the community was just reeling back from war, where women's bodies, again, um, were used in, 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 in time of fighting, you know, yes. to destabilize, you know, the opposing party, they would use women's bodies um, and, and rape the women and brutalize the women. 
Because um, it brought shame on the man. Stabilizing. Right. It brought, brought shame in the community. Right. So again, it's women's bodies are not, it's, it's, it's commodified, you know, it's, yep. it's, it's just, it's, it's objectified that your body is not your body. We can do whatever we want to your body. Right. And so to make that shift from America to a place like DR Congo, it's that same undercurrent of power and control all over again, where, you know, in America, we feel like, you know, we're civilized and, you know, we're, uh, we're the people who know the gospel, we know better, but it's the same undercurrent of power and control that leaves room for violence against women. Mm. And this is yeah. so not God's vision, right? Like it's, it's so not. not God's vision of what he wanted for men and women together. It's just so far below, um, which is why I think it's so important that we get a better framework for, for what, how to talk about sex and sexual, what it means to be sexual beings. And I, I keep coming yeah. back to, cause I'm, fl- I'm frustrated actually. I keep coming back yeah. to where are the good resources out there? And mm-hmm. so, so let me ask you this final question because it's something I'm struggling with do you feel like you have the resources the the research you can get to the theology that really kind of speaks to what you're the nuance and complexities of what you're seeing or what do you what what are you doing like could you tell me what they are if you are (laughs) oh my goodness it's so limited there's I mean when I, I'm working with women and I'm like, I need some good resources. I reached out to you sometimes, <laughs> you know, to get some resources. Jackie, what books are you reading and what's out there? Um, there's, it's so limited, um, you know, when it comes to resources for women to get their hands on and good theological work that's been done. There's so little, there's very yeah. little, not too many people will touch this area. Um, and do it justice without creating shame, without adding on to the shame that's already there. Yeah, it's there aren't too many. No, there just aren't. And I keep I keep asking mm-hmm. people, you know, and I know both you and I read Nadia Nadia Boltz Weber's book Shameless, which I thought had mm-hmm. some valid things in it, and then some things that weren't that valid. And then I also just recently read this book because somebody that I really you know trust recommended it called good uh, Christian sex. And, you know, it was good, but it was like, mm, it it didn't. Mm -hmm. So what I keep finding in these books is like, like shameless and stuff like they're pushing me, they're asking me to Mm -hmm. think outside of my conservative evangelical box that I was trained in. And, and even can sometimes make me think, oh my gosh, that feels like so sexual revolution. I'm not sure I can go that Mm -hmm. far. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like it's scary for me. I'm being honest, you know, and yet there's some things in there that I glean that I think, okay, that's really good thoughts, but I don't, and this is not a a personal attack. It's a, I shouldn't mention people's names when I'm attaching theology to it, but I just don't feel like I saw the work theologically. I, mm-hmm. I, I couldn't, like, I still felt like the puzzle wasn't put together for me in these books. Mm-hmm. What did you find with that? Yeah, um, Nadia's book for me was, um, it was like a, a, a taking a cold bath, you know, <laughs> uh, when I first read it, you know, because it felt so revolutionary yes um and 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 it felt like the pendulum went 
far to the other side, right? Right. Um, Which is what's needed sometimes. Of, let, let me just say exactly. this. That's needed sometimes in order to get exactly. us into a middle space, right? Yeah. A part of me applauded. I mean, I was just amening. I was in that amen corner, just amen, 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 because the research was well done. I love the research and the um, and how she pushed back on the biblical text and asking for more contextual work, you know, how we, the church, have done a bang-up job on just with the word. We have weaponized the word We've of weaponized God. It. yep. Ah, in the area of sex. And so for me, though the pendulum swung, I was like, yes, it needs to swing. Yeah. We need a swing. We need a shift in this area for women. Um, and it was good. Um, for me, it was good. Yes, there were some areas in the book that, um, you know, I'm still trying to reconcile with I'm, I'm not fully there because I, I did grow up in, in Haiti and in evangelical America and so for me it's still going to be a shock to my system right um but I think the entire book has merit I think I don't think it's a book that we should dismiss Agreed. I, I do think it's a, a good book for people who are doing research it, it's it's like a, a reset it jump starts your thinking you know just like i was talking about giving women the freedom to research and empowering them to make the decision about whether they want to have sex or not i think this book is good to help with that to jump start to help women start thinking um critically about their bodies and what they want to do. Yep. Because I, I believe God created women's body and gave women agency over this body. It's yours, women. And so it's your right to to do research, to learn, and to figure out what you want to do. I, I am still, like, on this journey. I'm sometimes thinking, okay, Jesus, do I need to go back to school and get a degree in sexuality and body theology <laughs> so we can start talking better about this? But... I know that you have yeah. a lot to do today. I know that you're talking later um, about this issue of race going on. And so, and I know you talked about it this morning before you did this podcast on sexuality with me. So I just want to thank you, sister in Christ, whom I love dearly um, yeah. for giving your mind and your body and your soul to us this, this last 45 yeah. minutes. Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. This is good for me too. And if they want, our listeners want to reach you, where, where can they find you? They can go on my website, julaprevalon.com, and they'll find all the information about me and, and even contact me through there as well. Okay, and I'm going to put it on my blog site too, but you're going to have to spell your name for them because you know they can't do it. Yes, it's D-I-E-U-L-A-P-R-E-V-I-L-O-N.com. Um, there you go. Yeah, it's like I got to spell Reese for everybody. Let's be honest. R-O-E-S-E. Nobody ever thinks it's what it's spelled like. So thank you for coming. Right. I'll talk to you later. All right. Thank Bye. you, Jackie. Bye. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese. R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.